0: Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep and more. If there's one skill we all need in life, it's the ability to bounce back. We all want to teach our kids how to deal with adversity, but do we as adults do this well ourselves? Resilience is something both parents and children need, but how do we practice it and how do we then teach it to our children? Hugh Van Kylenberg is the founder of the Resilience Project and the author of a new book of the same name. He's developed an understanding of resilience from his time volunteering with children in Northern India. Hi, Hugh. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thanks. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: It's a pleasure. So what were you doing in Northern India?
1: Well, um, originally, I was there backpacking and looking for a few games of cricket as a, as a really big cricket fan. I was travelling with my um, ex-partner, and she is blessed with a very compassionate heart, and she said, I think we should do some teaching over here, seeing as we're both teachers. And I said, well, why don't we find a, a good-paying teaching job so we can fund some more travel? And she said, no, no, I really think we should go and find a community where they desperately need teachers and volunteer. And I am so happy she did that because it changed my life forever. We arrived in a village called Tixo, No running water, no electricity, no beds. Everyone sleeps on the dirt floor. And I remember when I discovered that, I remember thinking, I'm not sure I'll last too long here. It could be a few nights before I knew it would had been there for quite some time because I, I remember very clearly my first day in the school teaching these kids and just thinking to myself, never. I have never seen joy like this in my entire life. I remember thinking how extraordinary with how little these kids have and I couldn't help but contrast it to my five years teaching experience back in Australia where the kids had everything yet we were just had so many issues around anxiety and depression and not coping well when things didn't go their way yet there I was with a group of people who sleep on the floor and have no running water yet they cope so much better when things didn't go their way and they just seem to be so full of joy.
0: And I can I can totally understand that juxtaposition and the, the um the thoughts that you were having there. But there's something that I often hear from people when if someone's having a hard time and then they'll think, you know, I shouldn't be complaining because people are suffering much greater hardship in X country. Yeah. yeah. But then pain in the human context, I would argue, is relative to your world. So hundred
1: percent of it, totally.
0: So totally. how do you relate to that idea? Um even even when you can see this really kind of perplexing contrast between children who have nothing and are very joyful and children who have everything and are suffering from uh, experiences like anxiety.
1: Yeah, well, I, I really that really resonates with me, what you said, because I know as a kid growing up, if I wasn't eating my lunch or something, mum would say, there are kids in, you know, should choose a country and say, who don't get food every day. That didn't want to make me eat my food more. I, it didn't I didn't relate to that at all. It didn't do anything, so... I totally get what you're saying. I think um, this, this is what I saw basically in this community, which I don't think, well, this is what I saw. In this community where I was living, the kids stopped and practiced three things every single day. There's three things I stopped and practiced. And I should give this a bit of context. I've always been fascinated by happiness and coping and well-being because when my sister was 14 years old, she was struck down by a horrific mental illness and it came from nowhere and my family overnight we just we just stopped being a happy family and i was 16 at the time and i was really fascinated well not fascinated i was desperate to know what can i do to make mum and dad feel happy again or what can i do to make my brother feel happy again i was confident knowing my sister was in good hands with the psychiatrist but i was thinking what about my family and from that point on i became fascinated by what makes us happy and it wasn't until i was in india 12 years later that i thought i reckon i've got something but to answer your question, what what I saw was that these kids stop their day and actually practice things every day, that it turns out the research says makes us feel really happy. In Australia, we don't stop and practice things that make us feel every, every day. We focus on the kids having good literacy, good numeracy skills. Uh, they've got to have that. They've got to succeed here. They're never going to go and do sport. They're never going to go and do this. And I'm not saying these things aren't good for your well-being but we don't stop and actually take time to practice things that are good for your mental health and, and, and things that make you feel happier. And that's what I saw the kid do. It had nothing to do with the fact that, like you said, it wasn't that because they're really poor, gosh, they're really happy. It's because they took time to stop and practice things that make you feel happy.
0: So what are those things?
1: So the three things I saw, and the clue is very much in the title of our book, <laughs> <laughs> of happiness through, through gratitude, empathy and mindfulness. But um, what I saw, um, so I saw the kids who, They would stop their day and they'd practice gratitude every day. So gratitude is when you pay attention to what you've got, not when you worry about what you don't have. And we are appalling at that in Australia. In countries like Australia, we live off the opposite model of happiness, which is if this happens, then I feel happy. So if I can buy this car, then I feel happy. If I get this promotion, then I feel happy. If I'm friends with this person, then I feel happy. Happiness doesn't work like that. Happiness comes from paying attention to what you've already got. And we have got so much here in Australia but we miss the things we have all the time. And that's one of the traps of, as far as being unhappy when you don't actually stop and notice the things you've got. So the kids practice gratitude every day. How do they do it? They literally would stop and they'd point out things to me every day that if something was good was happening, they'd stop and they'd point it out to me. And they'd say, sir, have a look at this. But I couldn't say the word this, they'd say this, which was terrific because they would literally stop and point at things they were grateful for. And they'd say, sir, this, or this, or this. And it took me a while to work out what they were saying, but what they were saying was... <laughs> How, I know I'm talking about things like shoes, you know, kid tying up his shoelaces. look this, some of the kids didn't have shoes. So the ones that did tie them up and saying, look how lucky I am, I've got shoes on my feet. Or maybe it's the kids couldn't afford to be lunch to school every day. So we would actually cook rice for them. Before lunchtime, we'd sit down and cook rice. And the, some of the kids would grab their rice and walk past me and say, sir, look this, and they'd hold up their rice saying, how lucky are we? We get fed lunch here every single day. Now, I'd be very surprised if any, Kid in any school in Australia stops and looks at their lunch and says, "How lucky am I? I got lunch every day." I just don't think it happens. Like we just, if anything, we're saying, "Why aren't the chips in my lunch Why did I? I don't. I don't like lettuce in my. lunchbox, whatever it is, like we're rather than going, "How lucky am I?" So, so that's gratitude. That's how they practice gratitude. Empathy is the second one, and that's when you feel what someone else feels psychologically, and that's an important thing because the more empathetic you are, the more likely you are to act in a kind way. And the neuroscience behind kindness is incredible whenever you do something nice to someone your brain releases a hormone that makes you feel happy makes you feel it's called the love hormone because it makes you feel positive emotions such as love joy and happiness
0: i have a question about empathy i know we're only on number two yeah, yeah. my question about empathy is um i appreciate what you're saying about kindness but sometimes if you're too empathetic yeah. that can lead to distress
1: so, if, for example, if you watch the news right now, yes. and you are sitting there taking on what everyone's going through, my gosh, it can be a really draining and Well, draining. That's not the right word. I don't, I don't mean draining, but it can be exhausting. It can be really upsetting to sit back and see all the all the heartache around the world. And I do absolutely take that on board. I, I think where we come from at the Resilience Project is that um, if you practice empathy, if you if you um, if you look at the research, which says the more empathetic you are, the more likely you are to act in a kind way. It's a key to being really happy, doing things for other people, service for other people, contributing to other people's lives. There's a lot of research to say that that is where most of the joy in our life will come from, doing things for other people, backed by the neuroscience. And I think you kind of, I don't know if it's the right saying to say you take the good with the bad, but you'll experience more joy. Yeah, you're going to feel more. You're going to feel a bit more heartache when you see what's happening to other people, but that's part of the human experience is taking on what other people are going on, feeling that pain, But also on the flip side, you're more likely to be someone who will reach out and do something for someone else and that will lead you and the other person to a lot more joy. It'll help the other person but it'll also help you.
0: And the final one is mindfulness. We all hear about mindfulness all the time but um, (laughs) I'm really interested to know how that was played out with these children in Northern India.
1: Well, I love that you said that because I feel like it's a buzzword and everywhere everywhere I speak at the moment... People don't roll their eyes. When I get to mindfulness, you can see them going, yeah, God, everyone's banging on about this at the moment. I get it. Yoga, meditation, you know, all this stuff I should be doing. For me, it's it's very simple. and It shouldn't be an annoying thing. It's just the ability to be present so you can be more calm. So we're not present in countries like Australia. Apparently, we spend 49% of our day thinking about the future, and I think it's around 25% of our day thinking about the past. So we give ourselves 20% of the day where we're actually thinking about what's happening as it's happening, and that's really sad when you think that, 100% of our life is the present moment. So we're turning up, <laughs> you know, we're turning up for 20% of it because we're at the dinner table with our family where we've wanted to be all day, but we realise for the last 10 minutes we haven't listened to a word anyone saying, we're too busy to worrying about an issue that happened at work or at the kids' school. We've just got to get better at being wherever we are. And the kids in this remote village, they have practised it for minimum half an hour every single day because they would turn up to school. It was optional, right? The 8.30 to 9 o'clock was an optional meditation and every single child turned up for it and that is what i'd heard about mindfulness before this and i thought oh, i'm not doing that but i'm not going to sit there with my my legs and my hands near making strange noises but when i saw those kids decide to their own decision to turn up for half an hour and sit still and to take in a hundred deep breaths and think about how it made them where they felt the breath or listen to what they could hear in the foothills of the, of the himalayas for, for two minutes and then do another I realised that what it simply was doing was teaching us the ability to be present so that we can be calm. And, and then I would do it with their family when they got home. And the, the principal that I lived with, he'd wake up at 4.30 every morning to do it for half an hour. I never quite joined in for that part. So <laughs> I, certainly it, I certainly did it at the school. And and that was 2008. And that's when I remember thinking, my gosh, this wealth stuff is huge. And my job since then has been to go to places like, yes, school, that places like AFL football clubs and NRL football clubs and the Australian netball team and present it to them in a way that makes them go, yeah, do you know what? I, I, I do understand why this is important. We need to be more present if we want to feel happier.
0: What are the two things parents can do to move towards greater resiliency for themselves and for their kids? Let's say there's one thing for the parents and one thing for the kids.
1: It is a really, really hard question to answer. because It's a great question. Every kid and every adult is so different. So what works for some people doesn't work for others. If I can say to... Adults, if I could say one thing, is to get off your phone. Nearly swore then. <laughs> get off your phone because that is causing us so many issues right now. And I I mean, I don't know where to start with this, but we have an issue with our phones. We're addicted to our phones. It's not our fault. The fault lies with the big social media companies that have put in some really unethical tricks to make us addicted to our phone. But our kids need us. There's nothing our kids want more than us. That's what they want. They don't. We work so hard so we can afford those holidays to Queensland or to, you know, sunny parts of the world or so we can buy them an IPO. But not ask for that, what they want more than anything is us and they are not getting us at the moment because they look to us and we're staring at a blank screen and to them, that's not what they want. They just want us. We need to not just put our phone down, but when you get home at night, leave it in the glove box of your car, when you go to the park with your kids, don't take your phone and just engage with them because when we get bored these days, what we do now is we grab our phone, that's how we decide to kill the border is by grabbing our phone and scrolling. The next time you're bored, create something with your kids. Be creative with your kids as opposed to just blanking out on your phone. And kids have a problem with this as well, but we need to start by setting a better example. And the best way to set the example is to model the correct behaviours. For our kids, I would say, ask your kids at the end of the day, whether they are at kinder or school. When you see them, don't say, what happened at kinder today? Don't say, what happened at school today? Say, what went well for you at school today? And you ask for three things. If they give you three things that went well, it could be small things. It could be really small things like I had some nice fruit at recess or I had I, got a, I understood this thing in maths or I got to play with this friend at lunchtime. What they're doing is they're practicing gratitude and the research behind that says that within 21 days, it will start to shift the way that they scan the world. For the We often scan the world for the negatives. I will start to scan the world for the positives. That makes them happier. That increases their mental health.
0: I love that. Hugh, thank you so much for your time today.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: That's Hugh Van Kylenberg, and he's the founder of The Resilience Project. We'll put links to his book in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.